0: You know, I used to have this formula: like perfect parenting and perfect kids out, right? <laughs> wow. So I feel like I was on this like perpetual journey to perfect parenting. You, like parent you sound like a one. You sound
1: like a one. Okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work.
2: Is anyone listening?
1: No, don't put that on the air.
2: These two people are really, really
1: funny. This one made me cry. World series champion around the entire world. NBA All-Star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre.
2: Man, happy holidays.
1: Happy holidays. It's the season. December. Tis the season. You know, sometimes it's pretty stressful, but other times it's really fun and exciting. Oh really?
2: What'd you yes. give me for Christmas? I'm not telling have you. Have you thought about it at all? Yeah. <laughs> have you even have you even made Do you need me to send you a list? Yes. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs>
1: oh. You are such a gift giver. I think I, I already got your present. I got your No, I I you. know, and I'm so bad at this. Actually,
2: I at this moment I don't have your present, but well we're this on is
1: the perfect episode for this time perfect. of year. Because today we are interviewing a couple that started Noonday Collection. Oh, isn't that exciting? And they no, it's a socially conscious fashion brand. And this is where you should do your holiday shopping Hello. for a purpose. Hello. For a purpose. Mm. It's key right isn't there. Isn't that and
2: isn't that isn't that special?
1: Yes, yeah, so you definitely need need to look up Noonday Collection. They have great stuff. Um and I'm gonna be looking there for my oh, for yourself? Well no. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about the like different women in the family. Oh, nice, but yeah. But then you were going to ask me about your own gift, and I probably wouldn't buy it from there for you. Yeah, probably. Probably not. Probably not. Like, you don't like those little cute tassel earrings?
2: Maybe not this year. Okay. Okay.
1: So this is Jessica <laughs> and Joe Honiger. And, uh, yeah, it, first of all, Jessica, again, is uh, started the founder Noonday Collection. She is also a host of her own podcast yeah, that's called great. Going Scared. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's good stuff Mm -hmm. And then she's also a best-selling author Of the book Imperfect Courage
2: Yeah, we talk a little bit about that
1: Joe is a stay-home dad Contractor
2: The short end of the whole story is This is the the husband that you want In life This and I am I, just, no, I am fully those, falling short of no, all aspirations, dreams, and desires no, those, that you might have.
1: Those giftings is just what I need in my life. Not him. He is with Jessica. They're happy. Yeah. I need you. You I just need me need, to renovate
2: the house, but I don't know how to do that.
1: I just need a stay home dad contract. Yeah, you contractor. want me to build you a closet? <laughs> there's a lot of things.
2: A lot of things. Well,
1: so what should we be listening for?
2: Oh, there's j- maybe just three things. Okay. Should we do three? Sure. First thing, 50 women, three men. <laughs> yeah. Good odds. Good, Good odds. <laughs> uh, number two, this quote that may have had a little shift in life. Perfect parenting in, perfect kids out.
1: Oh, my Lord.
2: If only it was that easy. That
1: stresses me out already. And the
2: third is something that really stuck with me. Something that helped in my healing. I heard Jessica say that a couple times and I want to I want to talk about that in the breakdown but I want you to listen for it because I think it's a term that could be something you could integrate into your story.
1: Yes. Here yes. we go. So here we go. This is Jessica and
0: Joe Honegger.
2: Happy holidays.
0: We were headed to a training with Food for the Hungry International which is a relief and development organization and the original training, it was uh, like a one week orientation to decide if that's what we were really going to do. So I get to this orientation and it's like 50 women and three dudes. Hey. <laughs> was Joe one of those dudes being Joe, Yay. I was immediately attracted to him and thought he was just super cute. And he was like that brooding mountain man type. And the funny story that ended up being so prophetic throughout our marriage is that we were assigned who would do kitchen cleanup. So it was just random assignments. And Joe and I were assigned to do kitchen cleanup duty together. And it came to be the night of kitchen duty. And I became enthralled with some video I was watching about working with the poor in Latin America. And I look up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's 10 o'clock. It's, I totally forgot about kitchen duty. So I run to the kitchen. The kitchen is absolutely spotless. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I totally left you. And he said, you know, I just figured you had more important things. to (gasps) do. You did it all. <laughs> he is he is the quintessential kitchen cleaner
3: and the Kitchen cleaner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like it still carries on coming. now to marriage to this day any what was that week like for you
3: well to set the stage a little bit so i'm from northern indiana okay. and you're from san antonio texas and so we were meeting up in phoenix for this training see, she mentioned we had both just graduated from college so we're like trying to figure out what's next and mm-hmm. I think I was, I was on a road trip, so I was visiting Food for the Hungry, and then I was going to go interview with Habitat in California, in Fresno, California. And then I think I was still kind of interviewing with the Peace Corps, but maybe that had been eliminated. But anyways, we get to this training, and there's this girl, blonde-haired girl from Texas, and I'm...
0: He's I, from like the cornfield. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: All town, northern Indiana, farmers. I'm not from a farming family, but out of um,
2: curiosity, what town is it?
3: So south of Fort Wayne, a little town called Ossian, in Indiana. Awesome. Okay, yeah,
2: okay. we're from. There's I'm from Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. Michigan, but I had my roommate was from a little town called Couts, Indiana. Anyway,
3: Couts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm familiar with Couts. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Has right. family in Coutts. Wow, so, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: probably he's related to your <laughs> former I, roommate. I <laughs>
1: <laughs> there is probably a relationship there. Highly
0: that. likely.
2: Yeah. So you guys meet up at this thing, and you you meet Jessica. And what was going through your head?
3: So I thought, yeah, she was like pretty charismatic. Like during it's a Christian organization, so there was like worship music going on, and so it's just like so, she was like somebody I'd never met before. I'm like, who is this blonde haired girl from Texas? <laughs> so, um, and I was not. I was planning on going to Guatemala for three years, so I was like not looking for a relationship, you know, just like I was kind of head down like, you know, is this the right thing for me to do for the next three years? I was moving out to the middle of nowhere in Guatemala. If I went, if Food for the Hunter accepted me, et cetera. And... It was not
0: love at first sight, I think is what he's trying <laughs> to do.
3: But no, I was attracted to you, but it, I didn't. it didn't fit in my box where I was Who going. Who is this so. strange yeah. specimen?
2: But, but then she stands you up on kitchen duty.
3: Yeah.
1: So does that give her like negative points in your?
3: No, I that's I would still rather be the guy in the kitchen than the one, in, you know, out in the crowd. Hmm. So like, yeah, you yeah. pegged me as an introvert from, you know, yeah. early on in this conversation. Yeah. So it's pretty accurate. So by the end of the day, I'm happy to go hang out in the kitchen and not talk to anyone. You're so, right. Yeah. Um.
0: But then there was a second training. OK, so I get home from this one week. And I didn't have a robust, uh, I was very picky about the kind of men that I was attracted to. And they were, uh, I very like servant leaders, quiet, like, you know, and I noticed like there was a family at this one week and it, Joe was the one with like, the kids were always wanting to play with him. He was the one cleaning up after everyone, but he was also the one that was like, Hey, let's stay up and play cards tonight. So he was social Like I could tell he loved people, but he was also quiet. And then it was so attractive that he was on this like three week road trip. He was going snowboarding like 14 days in a row. (laughs) And then of course he's like, I'm going to Guatemala for three years to go work among the poor. So I come home and what we learned, I at the time was only going to commit to a four month stint overseas with Food for the Hungry. And so that involved a lot lesser commitment and it involved a different process. But what I learned is if I upped my commitment, I would get invited back to like the training, the four week training, dive deep. You go to like a camp for a few weeks. You're like locked in with these guys. And I knew that Joe oh my was going to be there. Oh wow. So I get back from this training and I'm like, I am now going to go overseas for at least a year <laughs> so that I could. <laughs> to my mom's delight, who said, I wish I'd had another daughter. She tells me to this day that she meant an additional daughter, but she thought she was just going to lose me forever. <laughs> so, anyway, I up my commitment. I get invited back to the second training, and it's literally three months before I'm moving to Bolivia. To live in the middle of nowhere. He's moving to Guatemala for three years, also to live in a very rural area. But during the course of that one month, it's super intense. It's like you're doing your Myers Briggs, you're learning about cross-cultural living. How are you going to respond under stress? So it's like one month, but it it really felt like a year's worth of dating, kind of. Yeah. Yeah,
3: just in terms of how much you get to know someone in a quick time frame. And by the end of that, we ended up staying up most nights together. And we, there was another couple friend that we made. And then sometimes we'd sneak off by ourselves. And so.
2: Not easy. You don't have to tell us all the details of that. No, 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 no. So
3: no. make-out <laughs> sessions, you know. It was pretty
1: innocent. Very innocent. So yes. do you guys uh, go off together?
0: No. So so the,
3: the end of this month comes and basically I'm telling her goodbye. At this point, I know I'm going to marry her. She doesn't know that. Wow. Oh. But. That, we that's also what i was saying thinking.
1: goodbye
3: and uh so she, yeah we're, we're saying goodbye it's like i don't know when i'll see her again she's going to bolivia i'm gonna be in guatemala and this is 2000 so there's like no skype yeah yeah no cell phones everywhere like there are now so it was like His email internet cafes yeah very mm-hmm. expensive phone calls we so so we go home and we're emailing and like all the time probably in this last couple months that we have before going overseas and then did I have a voucher? Oh, I had it. So I had a plane voucher I had to use. And you kind of like, were like, Hey, why don't you come down to Texas? Visit, you know, meet my friends. I clients. had a
0: lot of guy friends. So I'm still attracted to him, but I'm also like, this is fun. It's, this is a cute guy and come to Texas. But Joe comes from not that. Not- no, I
3: didn't date through college. Like, I was like yeah. not going to date if I wasn't ready to get married, you know, just like I was, mm-hmm. Yeah, wasn't in...
0: Boyfriend didn't mess around. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: So when she's like, come to Texas, I'm like, this is a big deal. Like, if you're me to Texas, like, this is... Something
2: serious, off- right?
3: Yeah. So we haven't, we hadn't had the define the relationship talk just yet. And so I agree. I, we book a, tick, you know, I book the trip, come down to Texas. And this is like a month before you're leaving or what? Oh, like two like, weeks. It's like, yeah. Before she's leaving and I'm going to leave a month later. At this
0: point, we've known each other like three months. Mm. So he comes down to Texas. I'm doing all of my goodbyes before I'm about to leave. He meets everyone. We ended up, yeah, totally saying like we like each other. We made out <laughs> an entire night. <laughs> and then
1: this is good. Like, this bye. Is good. I'm all in. And then you say goodbye. For a year. And then
0: we say goodbye. Yes. Again. Without knowing when we'll see each other again. And he still has his three year commitment to Guatemala. Oh, three and I'm years. moving oh, to Bolivia. Wow.
3: No, at this point I so I reduced my commitment to a year and a half at this point.
0: Okay. Oh really? Yeah. Already?
3: Somewhere in there. Because you were only going for a year. And so, uh, he was open a little bit to shorten it. Which you didn't
0: know. So yeah. So we have this horrible goodbye and then I flew him back down one more time the next weekend because we were just desperate to see each other and had a fun weekend and then we leave and Joe moves to Guatemala. I moved to Bolivia and we begin a very thick book of emails that could be turned into a book for (laughs) sure. Yes. And so then we eventually, I eventually year? moved to Guatemala Okay. Um. after about a year or okay. um, a, a little less. We lived in Guatemala for a year and then we moved to Texas and got married.
3: So yeah, we got engaged while we were living in Guatemala together and then moved back to Texas and have been in Austin 17 years since. And yeah. you
2: have how many children? Three. Three children. You've been married. How many years? Uh, you may have just said it. I just.
3: Uh, 17. 17 years. Yeah. Oh
1: you're about you're about the same as us. Yeah. Oh really? Yes, I feel like there's very a lot of similarities. First of all, we've been married 17 years as well and I was born in Bolivia. No oh. way. We lived there the whole we in Bolivia. First half of my life. Uh everywhere, but uh, I was born in Santa Cruz and okay. then lived in Cochabamba. So I was in
0: living near Sucre.
1: Okay. And I in lived aunties, in Cochabamba in, in La Paz.
0: Okay, I love yeah. La pause. It's such and a beautiful Baltimore. and unique mm-hmm. country.
1: Yes, yeah, very fun. All right, so that was—I felt that like I was following a, like a whole story. I was yeah. really into it. I that was, was waiting for the whole thing. It was very <laughs> suspenseful. <laughs> <laughs> I need to take like a breath here because that was great.
2: Oh wow, good. <laughs> All right, so you, uh, Jessica, you started um, Noonday Collection. And how many yeah. years has that been around now?
0: Nine years.
2: Nine years. And I'm guessing a lot of that was rooted out of probably some of those early trips, right? Or, or from yeah. those experiences. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, it was. I would say that, you know, Joe and I met in the context of knowing we wanted to use our lives to create opportunity for the poor. And I think the vision of that was pretty narrow at the time. Um, for Joe, he's like a construction guy. So he's thinking, I'll I'll be a builder, Um, I thought, okay, that means teaching. Like I need to be a teacher or something. Like if you want to help the poor, I guess it's teaching, nursing, social work. I thought that those were my three options and I'm terrible at all of them. And I never should have been doing any of them. Um, But going and working with Foods of the Hungry, it it really shaped us. Um, We got to sit under the teaching of Steve Corbett who went on to write When Helping Hurts Mm -hmm. and he Mm -hmm. mentored us and actually was instrumental in kind of, Helping us to
3: He convinced Jessica to move to Guatemala before we decided to do anything life-changing.
0: He <laughs> said, please go live in the same country with this man before you decide to marry him. So <laughs> um, I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was really challenging when we got married because we we'd lived in this very unique context in this tiny little town. And we got married and he was like, you like to shop for clothes? And I was like, you watch Football all weekends. <laughs> this is like, this is like after you've moved back to Austin,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when our you're first back year in marriage like was American not American life, yeah. right? Okay,
0: yeah. I mean, the American life is very different than the uh Guatemalan life,
3: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so
0: that was like re getting to know each other all over again, and and so, we honestly
3: thought we'd move back overseas within two to three because years.
0: we did, we loved it, we right. loved. Living overseas and working among the poor, I think neither one of us just knew the context and the options of what that would look like. So that set us on a path though, every year that we're married, we continue to travel. We went to Mozambique, to South, South Africa, to Indonesia, and we're going and we're visiting friends and ministries, um, and just kind of always keeping our heart close to how we first met But then back on the home front, feeling probably like neither one of us is satisfied in what we're doing. And we're like, what do we do? Like we came alive during this period, learning to like love walking with the poor. And how do we do that now? And then we started having a family and then that led us really to adoption. So I think that Mm. when it came time to grow our family, to bring our third child into our family, I had a really bad second labor I did not want to do that again. Home birth.
3: Home birth. Home birth of an 11 boy.
0: pound, 11 pounder oh, wow. at home. Oh, mamacita. Yeah. So you have adopted from
1: Rwanda. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So our third child, so our second child, 11 pounds uh, at home. So that kind of sent us on this journey of like, how else can we grow our family? We want more kids, but I would prefer not to do it that way. And I think because of all of our trips and our journeys around the world. Previously, we thought, you know, international adoption made a lot of sense for our family. Mm -hmm. So we decided to adopt.
3: So yeah, this is late 2009, 2010. Well, Mm -hmm. we went to Uganda, February, 2010.
0: Yeah. So we, we had gone to Uganda, got connected to some friends that we knew through food for the hungry. They had said, we would love for you to start a marketplace for these artisans that we know. They're extremely talented and extremely poor. Would you think you would want to begin selling Ugandan goods? And I just kind of blew them off. I was like, (laughs) no, we've got real estate. We've got two kids. We've got one, another one coming via adoption. But then after we got back from that trip, fast forward a few months, the recession hit. We are playing chess cards with our credit card. We're playing chess with our credit cards. Joe's like, use the Amex today. Don't use the Visa Um, But we'd begun this adoption process. And so we needed a way to bring Jack home. And that is what led me to starting this side hustle that I saw as an adoption fundraiser. I called up my friends in Uganda. I said, is that offer still on the table? They said, absolutely. I opened my home one night. Tons of people came. And it was this magical evening of realizing that women wanted to use their purchasing power for good. Women wanted to gather. They wanted to rally around our adoption. They loved all of these, these Ugandan-made goods. And the next morning, I woke up. I contacted my friends in Uganda. They said, why don't you order more? And with that, it became more than a fundraiser. It, a business was born. And I quickly began asking other women to open up their homes. I began to find other artisans to partner with to curate their goods. And I began couch surfing and hustling. And Joe really, I mean, he really is a co-founder. He is running all of the background, all of the books, all of the accounting, um, any details that, anything that involves process he was doing Mm -hmm. while also still doing real estate. So that's still how we're trying to bring money into the family, though it was very rough for a while. Yeah. Um, But that was the birth of Noonday. Hmm. That's crazy.
1: I didn't realize it started as an adoption fundraiser.
2: Yeah, I think that's really cool. And in the midst of it, I mean, uh, it seems like the two of you have one's extroverted, one's introverted. Is that a fair
3: assessment? Jessica feels like she's getting more introverted over the, the older she gets, but.
0: I definitely have a lot more words than him.
3: (laughs) Yes. She has many more words (laughs) per day than I do.
0: And what's your Enneagram numbers? I'm a one. Uh I'm a seven. Oh, Uh, interesting.
3: Okay.
2: So if somebody's listening, they might be an entrepreneur. They might be married to the opposite. You know, one might, I'm, I think oftentimes entrepreneurs are often a lot more extrovert. They're visionary. They're Mm -hmm. out in front of people. They might be married to somebody and they're launching. You guys were in that launch phase together. What did you, what have you learned that you could share about kind of communication together or uh, working together in the context of those differences?
3: Well, the, so prior to that, we had been working in real estate together. So okay. up to 2008, I was remodeling homes, we were flipping homes, and then the market, you know, recession hit. And then I moved over to real estate full sales full time, which Jessica had been doing for a few years. So we worked, we had already worked together for, uh, in various capacities for most of our marriage. And so this was actually a good dynamic because I was just there to help where I could. And she was running everything. And I was still was doing real estate versus when we were doing real estate together, it was more like I would drop the ball on following up, you know, like and you know did you call that person today It's like oh no i didn't you know and so it that, was a
0: really bad dynamic we worked <laughs> together for 10 years and it was not a good fit that was a bad idea <laughs> So what, well, how did you make it 10 years though how that? did we how did we do that <sighs> you guys just charged through that just pushed we through you did
3: charge through yeah we i t- mean
0: the Enneagram's you, been so helpful. If we would have well, had that 10 years ago, like, that would have been helpful. Yeah, but, yeah,
2: and and you guys just recently did a renovation, I believe, right? A mm. Renovation. So did all that come back again, or was it different when you re-engage this project?
0: <laughs> we had, so we had two phases in the renovation. <laughs> the first phase, there was definitely um, echoes of history that came back <laughs> to us. Um cuz it's usually like I'm urgent, I'm the problem solver. I'm like it needed to be done yesterday. I also see possibility and like why can't something be done? He is a perfectionist and he's a craftsman. Yeah. And
3: there's a right order to there's a do There is a right, a
0: right order. <laughs> there is a right way. And when your family is living in the living room and in a closet, it just, you know, that did create stress. So the difference is that when we come to a a place of stress and we're able to have a conversation, the Enneagram gave us a lot of empathy where he was able to recognize kind of my needs and I was able to recognize his needs and ultimately learning to listen and then be able to voice that you really heard the other. Mm. Um, that would have been a great tool for 10 years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, we can only really nice. like five years ago or something, was it? Okay. And it was just one of those eye-opening like, oh my gosh, for this whole entire marriage, I believed this. And then, you know, it flipped it on its head. Of
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: What but. are you guys on the Enneagram?
1: So I'm a one also.
2: And I'm an eight. Okay. So we... Uh, we
1: are um, basically, by enneagram standards, incompatible. We should, not, <laughs> we should not be married. Yeah. They're like, you should not have a romantic relationship. I'm like, okay.
2: That's encouraging.
1: That's great. I have found
0: our dynamic. Joe is, he's Jesus with skin on, and everyone kind of knows it. He kind of, he doesn't mean to, but a lot of the dudes in our lives, like, kind of feel bad because they can never live up to who Joe is. <laughs> because he just um takes care of things and helps people feel cared for. And he mm. doesn't come with a place of criticism and judgment. So like oh, he good. I don't he does I've never felt bad that I can't clean the kitchen correctly because he's just like, babe I'll take care of it. So I'm like, great, because I really hate cleaning the kitchen. <laughs> yes. Um and he's just really nurturing and caring and So in that respect, like I know ones have this reputation of kind of criticism and judgment, but I don't feel like I've ever been the target of your criticism and your judgment. And he's just like, he's just a real, he's a wingman. Like he's a self-identified wingman. He's like, I just want to come alongside a more dynamic person. And if, even if you look like his best friend growing up is an eight with a seven wing and Mm -hmm. is an entrepreneur and, um, Joe's always been drawn to people like me and I think for us what's unique or different is I think growing up in the south I had this model of a mom that I needed to be this stay-at-home mom and my dad and I were exactly alike whereas my mom and Joe were a lot more alike and Mm. I really had a hard time reconciling. So I think in our years of working together, if I could have released myself to be like, gosh, I'm really good at marketing and going out there and beating the pavement and selling. But in my head, it was like, but Joe's supposed to be the one. He's supposed to be the breadwinner. I'm the woman, you know, and there was this really false conversation going on in my head. So then when Noonday started and he still was the breadwinner for those few years because we weren't paying ourselves a salary. And then eventually when Noonday really became successful and we had a few years of, of a regular salary from my job, um, it just became clear that, especially with all the travel, it didn't make sense for Joe to work anymore. And he didn't like his job anyway. He was doing real estate and having mm-hmm. to like work with people.
1: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> terrible. <laughs> So, yeah, how? I mean, I think that's a big thing. We have a lot of, like, the societal norms and the gender roles and things like that, and especially as we carry it from our families of origin. How, for you, Joe, is that something that was just easy for you to kind of let go of in terms of being more of, like, the supporter of Jessica, or was that just kind of natural for you?
3: Yeah, I think it is kind of it kind of comes naturally to me and then it's interesting cuz i did still do real estate up until 2 years ago and so now when people you ask me like what do i do and it's like the stay-at-home dad like there's more of that in austin happening it seems like i meet more and more like stay-at-home dads in austin and um but then it's still like i've been remodeling our house and people are like what are you going to do next and what's you know it's just, people expect yeah. you to have a plan for your working career moving forward. And I'm always going to stay busy doing something. Um, so yeah, so it's like, I saw the potential with Jessica and with Noonday and it's like, this makes sense for me to support this because it's got a lot more potential and a lot more where our heart is at than me trying to grow a real estate brokerage, you know, or my own thing over here on this side of things. So,
1: um,
3: yeah, just from that perspective, it made a lot of sense and, um, she's a lot more talented than me. So yeah, it's like, (laughs) Makes sense to get her out there.
0: I don't know about that, but we're just talented in different ways.
2: Yes. And Jessica, I'm going to make a generalization that if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. let me know. But I'm guessing a lot of the people within your organization are women, both makers and sellers. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. Um, Yes. And
0: we have about 50 employees in our Austin office, and I would say 98% are Women, although I have a full time business partner who I am in 50%, 50 50 partnership with, and it is a whole nother marriage. Like, literally, Mm -hmm. I have two marriages, (laughs) and he is an eight, and it is such a different dynamic. It is such a different dynamic than this. Ah. Glad I married this. Yeah, now you know how I feel.
2: Uh, Yeah. Mm, I love you, eight. So before this isn't about me, uh, the
1: the women question.
2: Yeah. I'm curious, like some of the tensions that you were feeling in launching this, some of the you were talking about, like Southern traditions, you're a part of how that played into your thinking. Like, how much how much are you seeing that in the women that you lead? And, you know, what advice do you have if they're sitting in the midst of that tension of kind of historical norms or historical pressures, maybe is a better word to say. Um, and yeah, how do you how do you encourage other women in, in that journey?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say in my leadership, I feel like I lead a couple of different audiences. There's the artisan stakeholder in our business model, and these are women that actually helped heal me of my narrative because as I began to travel the world and I struggled with this working mom guilt and this idea that I was going to destroy my children from giving myself to a job, but then I began to meet all of these women and all they wanted was a job. And they felt like if I could only have a job, then I could give my children a better life. Hmm. And they're the ones that helped me to flip my story on its head and realize that a job is a beautiful thing and especially dignified work. And I began to just walk a lot more in my identity there and then that's helped me to speak that into women here and have seen women who maybe started off as a side hustle, just like me. And now it is turning into more of a career for them. And I think when their husbands see that, um, it it can introduce a new dynamic into their marriage. And yeah, I, I it's interesting because now I have, I've kind of surrounded myself now with women that can be economic stakeholders in their home. And I just was speaking this week and I was kind of sharing the story and I was like, is it still a thing? Like, is it still a thing that women feel guilty about working? And everyone's like, yes. Like, so um, I realized that even though now I've built a community that's a little bit more supportive about, um, me being a a breadwinner and working and not feeling guilty about that, knowing I can be a great mom and a great CEO that those are not, those can actually work together and create a gift for my children and my business. Um, it's definitely still a narrative.
1: Yeah. Hmm. And I, I also kind of wonder in the sense of like, you know, having and owning a fashion business and then right now, like the messages that we're also trying to tell women about, That they're perfect as they are, that they're beautiful and exactly who you are. How do you wrestle with those things by also but when we're also saying, but you should buy this product and it will look great on you know, like Uh I just feel like there's I see like the beauty and the wonderful things that your brand does, Uh but then I also see this whole new messaging that's coming Uh up that it's like, you don't need any of this. You should Uh be happy with who you are. How do you wrestle with that or what what's yeah. your what are you saying yeah. about that?
0: Yeah, and I think it's so powerful cuz we are a fashion brand that is saying that you are beautiful just as you are and you don't need any of this. But we invite you into this story of elevating the worth of women and everywhere I have gone, it doesn't matter where it is. When I go to a village in Guatemala, And I compliment a woman on her traditional wee peel. And I say, gosh, I love this color. And she says, oh, this color is all the rage in my village right now. Or I travel to Uganda and I see the woman one year um, as Noonday was starting off and we did not have enough orders to sustain a regular income for them and their hair is cut really close and short to their head. And then I go back a year later after Noonday has been able to create a growing marketplace for them and they have these beautiful weaves and this purple hair and that I think women around the world, we for centuries have accessorized ourselves Mm -hmm. and we've had fun with our accessories. Mm -hmm. So we aren't saying buy this necklace so you can feel more beautiful. You aren't good as you are, but we're saying, Hey, we invite you into this story of helping women around the world feel more beautiful. And I think it's been um, fairly easy for me to reconcile those two things because, again, it is the artisans that we work with that teach me the lessons that I need to learn. That's good.
1: That's really good.
2: All right. So you wrote this book, Imperfect Courage. And I'm curious how you would relate that, um, to first of all, to your marriage and then also um, to uh raising kids. Like how are you building this concept into the kids and family that you guys have?
0: The concept of just choosing uncomfortable and going scared. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. I mean, it is no, having a family that doesn't look like everyone else. Hmm. We've built that into our family dynamic now. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is kind of this built in way that we're saying, you know, we're not just pursuing this American dream life and we want to always create space in our lives for the vulnerable. And we've been able to travel with our kids. And we t- we're taking them with, a, with us this summer to Guatemala on our third artisan trip together. We've taken them to Ecuador and Uganda a couple times and Rwanda and Eastern Asia, um, so that that's a lot of how we do it. Is really just knowing that this noonday, sure, I started it. I had this idea, and then Joe helped do so much of the execution. But it really is a family vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joe, Jack, Jack, our son from Rwanda, is the real founder. Yeah, you know, yeah, and he's very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes. You need
1: to do like a whole line or something around him.
0: Yeah. yeah. So a lot of it is just having really vulnerable conversations. And I mean, our daughter, Amelie, recently was like, we have a very open family. I tell my friends about some of our, con- and they're like, what, really? But we are very, very open as a family and have open conversations and bring our kids along on the journey. Uh, you know, I think we kind of just treat them as adults in a lot of ways. How would you answer that, babe?
3: How are we going scared as a family? <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, the international travel is a big part of it. Um, just for our kids and exposure. And, you know, I I was the a, a, first time I went overseas was in college. So that's when I learned of poverty. And um, so, yeah, we've been traveling with kids is funny because their perspective is totally different and they don't notice half the stuff that we see, you know, the differences that we see, the kids tend not to see those things, mm-hmm. um, as much. And then we've been intentional about like where we live in Austin. Like we've, we stayed in a more diverse area kind of as our kids are approaching schools, our schools are not great. So we're tr- it's kind of this juggling act of trying to figure out school and do we move. And it's like, if we move, there will be no not many black people and our son is black. So we'd like to stay in a part of town where he can see people that look like him. And so Mm -hmm. that's been something that we, with this remodel, just kind of remade that decision. Like we're staying here, you know, for the foreseeable future. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, we have all sorts of activity around us and (laughs) um, different things happening. You know, it's, it's a gentrifying neighborhood, but it's still very diverse. And um, yeah, so it's, that's been one way that we've. I don't know if that's going scared, but just definitely not choosing to just go where we're
0: where. not comfortable. Right. Not choosing homogenous, not choosing the comfortable route, or even how you and I both grew up in very homogenous, comfortable communities. But saying, you know, how are we going to do it differently?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think neither one of our parents understand why we remodeled our house. They're like, why are you still in this neighborhood? Like, why wh- Why are you not moving to the they better not- school district? Like-
1: yeah. <laughs> they do not get they it. They don't understand. They right. don't get it. Oh, yes. We, we have the same story, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, we, okay. have, we adopted two and our daughter looks different than us. So it's very similar, like just really choosing to be really intentional about where you live, where your kids go to school, you know, so that they have people that look like them you know mm-hmm. super important but yes it is uncomfortable we are the only white people at every dance performance that we ever go to ever okay <laughs> we show we are you know and and those are moments that you know you get to like lean into and yeah and just and just experience it because that's honestly most African American experiences in the white right. world. so mm-hmm. it's it's with a majority culture world, you know it's good to lean into that in the other way, so mm-hmm. but yeah, we love what it's you so guys. worth
0: it. it's 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 so worth it, yeah. what has
1: adoption internationally taught you? our our adoption was domestic. What has international adoption taught you?
0: Oh gosh. Hasn't it taught me? I mean, I think that, you know, we adopted Jack when he was about three and naturally adoption is, I mean, there was trauma in his background. So it really threw out our parenting rule book. And, you know, I used to have this formula, like perfect parenting and perfect kids out. Right. (laughs) Wow. So I feel like I was on this, like, perpetual journey to perfect parently. You I mean, sound like a one. Perfectly. You sound
1: like a one. What's happening?
0: I do. Well, sevens go to one in stress. And I becoming know. a mom was it's the most true. stressful thing I've ever gone through. It's so true. It's so Sevens true. go to the worst part of being a one in yes. stress.
1: And I go and to I you. Have- I go to a wonderful seven when I'm happy. Yes. And-
0: <laughs> yes. That's why vacations for us are perfect, because he goes to seven. Yes like the time of my life he's yeah. like I don't care how much money we spend We're on vacation I'm Let's like go. who is this man that I married I love you
1: I know I know so
2: the perfect parenting and oh, perfect yeah. kids out it didn't work it didn't out didn't work out, it, out so yeah, well it par- apparently work, you know?
0: that's not how it goes <laughs> not how it goes and I'm just so grateful that we introduced a a new way of becoming a family into our family, because I would say our, our parenting needed a shakeup. And that's when we learned it's about connection. Parenting is about connection. It's about love and family is about the messiness and creating a space for vulnerability. And, and, you know, I, Oh my gosh, I have messed up so often over the years and you know, Jack was brought to me for my healing mm. and his ish completely triggers my ish. And it's, I wouldn't have known that ish was there, you yeah. know? So the ish has definitely come out and hit the fan many times. And we've learned to embrace just the messiness, I think, of, of love and connection over, oh my God, my kids need to behave perfectly at this restaurant tonight. And, right. you know, what do you think it's been for you? We just had like a huge meltdown this week. So it's a great <laughs> week to be asking this question. Like it was like, like Joe and I wound up at Jack's school with his favorite hamburger spot, like writing an apology We're note. So sorry. Like it was We're like, so sorry. So, yeah, it was a big week in the adoption parenting world.
1: <laughs> oh man.
3: Yes. I, having not adopted domestically, I don't, I couldn't tell you what the differences would be, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's like we were wanting Jack to feel this connection to Rwanda and like Jessica took him there this past summer for the first time for him to go back for the first time. Um, now that he's 10. And so it's hard to gauge how much he's taking in or feeling connection to a place or, or whatnot, but, um, but then, yeah, just like like she said, learning to parent differently, and we have many more bridges to cross. Um, and he is—he's a very deep thinker, and he, but th- he's also just like crazy ten-year-old soccer fifth-grade boy, you know. Yeah. And so, but every now and then, these things come out of him, and it's like that was inside of you. Mm. And so it's just like this week we had a friend say it's like with Jack, it's just like you just need to be ready whenever this, whenever. Yeah, he shares the need to share these things. Like we need to be ready. It's not going to happen. It's sitting not, down with the counselor, no. we tried that.
1: It's not on your and, uh, terms. Nope. No. It's not going to be on a schedule. That
3: so was a no
0: go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our daughter's ten too, and every okay. now and then the one, the our adopted one, and every now and then, I mean, it's so random. You just and then yeah. you just. I mean, I literally just stare at her, and I'm like. Oh, oh, okay. We're talking about this now. Okay, like oh my there god, go, yeah. jump in here, totally. you know, quick, uh, figure something out, quick. So yeah, hey Jessica, true. I heard you
2: say twice mm. this uh, this idea that something helped with your healing,
0: mm. and that's
2: not a term I, I I don't hear that often in people we interview mm. or maybe in conversation. What does that mean? It, it, there's something there that means something deep to you.
0: Yeah, I think that um, when Jack has fight or flight, it's often flight and he will literally almost be despondent and not all there. And I feel so powerless and alone. And that triggers a deep place in me of, of my own suffering of some things that happened when I was little. And so I ran up, After a conference to who someone who's now become a good friend, his name is Kurt Thompson and he's a psychiatrist and he he wrote a book called the soul of shame, Mm -hmm. but he spoke one time at a conference and something in me just called to him and I ran up to him and I just started bawling and I'm like, I am not responding well to my son. So it's not about like Jack being despondent. It's about my extreme reaction to that. Like, what do I need to pay attention to? Yeah in my reaction to any of my children. Mm-hmm. And he said, deep calls to deep. And God brought Jack into your life for your healing. And what do you feel when he's like this? And I'm like, I feel powerless. I feel this. And he's like, and when did you first feel that way? So that began, I think, a good healing journey for me that I'm I'm still just very aware of. And um, I think that, you know, we have to pay attention to, how we're reacting. And, you know, we all have like those lower levels of our brain where trauma is. And we go to those places in our brain. And uh, certainly when he's in that place in his brain, and I go to that place in my brain, it is not a good combination. (laughs) I mean, I did. I went there real bad this week. I'm like, I'm like, fine. Then you don't even need to go to soccer at all anymore. Slam the door. (laughs) I ran. I called Joe. I'm like, Okay, here's what I just said. And Jack I
3: am, loves soccer more than anything else. More than anything in the world. It's like, like it's right. like the worst thing I could say. He would play every day, all day. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm like,
0: babe. I just I just went to a childlike place. I just acted like a five year old. And I'm going to go to bed now. And I need you to come home and clean up the mess. Can you repair
1: this, please? Can you intervene, please? Yes. Just help me smooth this over. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: and like you know, Joe gets his own trigger too. You know, like when things are not orderly, um, because our other son is for sure a one on the enneagram and is like tidy and neat and responsible. And Jack just has more of like a typical boy, like <laughs> personality in a way, like what stereotypical would mean, and so that can trigger Joe's need for control and order. We're all just learning. (laughs) We are. We are.
1: All right. Well, we have come to the end of our time, so we're going to ask our last and final question. Um, Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family?
3: I think we're trying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I think it's possible. Short-form means.
0: Absolutely. I mean, especially if you marry someone like Joe. <laughs> if just if everyone could marry someone like Joe, your you life can do could flourish. Anything. You can do anything.
2: <laughs> and now it's time for the breakdown.
1: Are we not going to talk about that she's my Bolivian sister? Oh, we can talk about this. You can talk about um, every, whatever you want. So anytime somebody just says Bolivia, like ears, excited, yeah, I want to scream and shout.
2: You know, we you've never taken me.
1: I know. That is a, that is a family goal we have. Oh, is it? Yeah. Mm. I don't know if you knew about it, but it's on <laughs> my list. <laughs>
2: Story of uh, my
1: life. Yes. Uh, so what did you take away from this? Um,
2: I thought there was a lot of interesting things that uh, this concept of helped in my healing. I think is really interesting because I don't know. I think that I think she has a really interesting storyline where she's interacted with people internationally that have shaped how she sees the world in a positive, new, and better way. Right, and she refers to it as helped in my healing multiple times. I loved when she said specifically. She talked a lot about it in through adoption, but in another scenario where artisans helped heal me of my narrative of what she thought she needs to be as a woman. And in turn, the people that she employs overseas, they had said, if I could only have a job, it would change my children's lives. And so there's shame that I think oftentimes women have in working that the flip side is internationally, they find like incredible purpose Mm -hmm. in working. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just such a really interesting perspective and, and mind shift from an American Western viewpoint from a different perspective.
1: Yeah. it's a really, that's good. You're just bringing it today. I like it. No, the question is, who
2: are we listening to in the midst of this, right? The shame comes from a very privileged perspective.
1: Yeah. Right? I, I mean, we're definitely in a place of privilege for yeah. sure, but it can also come from societal norms, yep. gender norms. Yep family of origin i mean there's a lot of other things too that you just have always seen it done this way Mm -hmm. and so that's how you think you should do
2: Mm. and to hear the perspective
1: of an international woman really just needing a job to change the whole family trajectory wow
2: Right. It's wow. powerful. It's powerful.
1: And I really liked how she brought it when she talked about fashion and making sure women understand that they are perfect as they are. I mean, it's really about, th- I mean, this company and Noonday Collection is really also more about empowering women internationally. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about us and looking cute, but we're also really empowering somebody else somewhere else. Yeah using your purchasing power for good.
2: I love it. That's what we should do this Christmas season. Listen, if you are listening to this, you've never shopped at their stuff. Go check them out, a Noonday collection. But if if that's not your style or thing that you want, I think I think you're going to buy a present probably for someone in this season. Yeah. Try to do something that is has purpose in in some
1: greater way in yeah. your purchasing power. Find the power. different brands that give back in some way or have purpose in that. I think that's a great challenge for this Christmas season. Yeah. Take the challenge season. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, it is another episode of lover work. Happy holidays edition.
2: Wait, one more thought Uh before we're done. The happy holidays edition also should include going back and listening to some of the episodes that you have not listened to yet. If you haven't subscribed,
1: please select
2: subscribe. If you've never done a review, please, for our present to us.
1: Oh, give us a present.
2: Give us a review or give send us, us a present.
1: present. And it, no, your present should just be your review. The review. I would really love that. Mm. That would be special. We appreciate think your presence. I I would feel really here. loved if that happened.
2: Oh, that was a heartfelt review request. <laughs>
1: Happy holidays, friends. Have a great one. This episode was produced by DJ Ope Diggy for Soul Graffiti Productions.